0: Let's pray. Our God in heaven, as we come before you this morning, we know that you are a great and an awesome God, uh, even beyond what we could comprehend. I mean, we read of your power and your might in, in, in your word uh, as we look at the Old Testament and see how you have created all things of nothing. Uh, Father, that you have, that you parted the Red Sea, that you walked, up, knocked down the walls of Jericho. But what greater work is there, God, than that you take those who were once your enemies and you have saved them and changed their hearts and put your love in their hearts that they might know you and walk with you? And I pray this morning, dear God, that you would speak to us, that you would help us to grasp the greatness of who you are. And the privilege that you have given us to be your sons and daughters, uh, we thank you, O oh Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen. So when I was a pastor in Florida, on Wednesday nights we had a good old-fashioned prayer meeting where we met and all we did was pray. No Bible study or, or really singing per se. We just we just prayed, and and like most prayer meetings, it was attended by a few faithful faithful saints and we had a good time uh, lifting up the needs of the church and the community to the Lord. But shortly after we began to, to pray as a church, we had several couples that began to attend our church and they were older saints, people who had walked with the Lord for many years and they not only attended church but they began to come to prayer meeting. and when they prayed, I, I have to, I remember being in awe of their prayers and it's not because they were showy they simply approached god with such reverence and with such humility and yet with such intimacy they didn't rush into prayer and say god this is what i want i want this and this and this and this they just enjoyed the fellowship of being in the presence of the lord in their prayers and when they did get around to to lifting up their their requests their petitions They prayed with such boldness that you knew that they believed that God was able to do anything. And I have to say, as a pastor, I was very humbled to listen to them pray. I thought, wow, I'm terrible at this. But as I was able to pray with them week in and week out, it began to affect me. And in a very positive way, it began to change my prayer life. And as I listened to them pray... I oftentimes felt like I was ushered into the very presence of God as they reflected upon who he was. Well, this morning, as we look at Paul's uh, letter to the Ephesians, and particularly the prayer that he prays in chapter 3, verses 14 through, through 21, I believe that if Paul was here praying this prayer, it might be that we might feel like I felt at those prayer meetings in Florida that here was a godly man that walked closely with the Lord, who knows God, and he prayed like it. He prayed like he knew the Lord. And so I want us this morning to look at chapter 3, verses 14, but we're only going to get to verse 16. There's just so much here. We're actually going to break this up over three weeks because there's just so much in this prayer. But but I want us to look at these couple of verses this morning in hopes that it will affect us as we come before the Lord and as we pray this week. And so the first thing I want us to see is is the attitude by which we are to approach God in prayer. The the attitude. And this is sort of a big topic and sort of a longer point, so stick with me. But but notice Paul's attitude towards prayer in verse 14. He says, "For this reason I bow my knees before the Father." Now, now what motivated Paul to pray? Why did he feel compelled to pray? Well, um, it sort of has to do with that phrase, for this reason. And and you might look at that phrase and think, well, when he says for this reason, he's referring to what just came before it in verse 13. And that was how the the Ephesians were heartbroken to hear that their pastor had been put in prison. And so there was great anxiety that they had. And you might be tempted to think that's why Paul uh, prayed this prayer. But actually, as we saw last week, the phrase for this reason is also stated in verse 1. So actually, in verse 1, before he addresses all of this with their anxiety, he was talking about who the church was. And so Paul is really compelled to pray, not because he saw some need in the church, but because simply that these Ephesians, he was praying that they would live up to the high calling in Christ to be the church and to live like the church. He said, you are no longer Jew and Gentile, but you are one in the church. And so Paul began to pray for them that they could act like the church. And so we see under this attitude really how Paul values prayer. Uh, Paul prays proactively for the Ephesians, not simply reactively. Uh, Paul doesn't simply pray because there's some pressing need in the church, but he prays for these Ephesians to strengthen them Because he knows the opposition that they face from Satan. And we'll see that more as we get to chapter 6 in Ephesians. So the first thing that Paul thinks to do is to pray. And I don't think that's a small thing, brothers and sisters. That the first instinct that Paul has is to pray for these Christians. You know, I think what a difference would it make in our lives and in our relationship if we first prayed before we acted. Or we first prayed before before we spoke, instead of relying upon our own abilities to address the circumstances of our lives, what would happen if we bathed everything in prayer? I mean, bathed it in prayer. I'm not just talking about praying once and then acting, or praying twice and then acting, but really seeking God's face. And and Paul especially sets an example for us as ministers and for church leaders, And I would also suggest even those that are heads of the households to pray for God's blessing and strengthening of the flock of which we are responsible. But it's not just for leaders. It's really for all of us that anything that we do ought to be done in an attitude of prayer. Whenever you read the Bible or you hear a sermon... We ought to be praying. You ought to be praying for God to do in your life what it is that you are reading in the Word or what you are hearing in the Word. God, make this a reality. Ought to be our prayer. We ought to value prayer as we see Paul does as well. But but also understand under this attitude of prayer is the posture by which Paul comes uh, to God in prayer. Uh, Paul prays with great confidence because Paul prays to his Father. He says, for this reason I bow my knee before the Father. Uh, Paul almost always prayed to the Father through the Son and in or by the Holy Spirit. We see, you can look back at Ephesians 2.18 and sort of see that formula by which Paul oftentimes prayed. But let us not think that it's wrong to pray to the Son. Um, We see in Acts 7.59 Stephen praying to Jesus or that it's wrong to pray to the Spirit. So I'm not saying that. The Holy Trinity is one and each person equal in glory and equally to be honored and loved and, and praised. And yet the normal practice is oftentimes to pray to the Father. Well, that's not because the Father is intrinsically greater than the Son or the Spirit, but simply because it is the Spirit's delight to glorify the Son. And it is the Son's delight to glorify the Father. In other words, they are all there for the others and so Paul prays to the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named now he might be referring to every f- family group of the whole world because all of humanity is made in the image of God even people that don't acknowledge that God exists is made in his image but I would suggest to you that that's not what Paul's referring to if you look at the context here he's talking about the church And so when he says, whom every family in heaven on earth is named, he's talking about those who are believers, those who have trusted in him. And so as we come to the Father in prayer, as his children, as those who have been saved by him, we come with security, we come with stability, we come with confidence that our heavenly Father is always committed to doing what is good and best for his children you know, I know when my dad was alive and I was a lot younger and I would come to him and I would ask things of him, I could come with quite a bit of boldness because, and I could ask for things that you'd think, oh, there's no way he's going to let you do that. Because I knew that if it wasn't good for me, my dad would tell me no. And it's not because he didn't love me. It was actually because he did love me and he only wanted the best for me. Yet, how much more is our Heavenly Father like that, and so Paul prays with that sense of confidence as he comes before the Lord, but he also prays with a sense of reverence, you know even though he prays to his heavenly Father, uh, Paul prays with humility and reverence you know god 's love doesn 't change the reverence that is due god 's name, and I think we need to remember that you know if you, you look back at ephesians two eighteen um, it, it does talk about the Trinity and how we approach the Father, but it says that we have access to the Father. Now, the picture that a Jew would have thought of when they heard that is in the Old Testament saints; uh, they they would have thought of the Holy of Holies, and no good Jew would have barged into the Holy of Holies because of the Shekinah glory of God. They would never have survived God's presence because He is so glorious. But you know, today, oftentimes. Uh, Christians act as if Christ has removed that veil from God in the Holy of Holies. And, and what that is allowed for is God to come out and to be with his people and to give us high fives in the church, you know, and just sort of, yo, dude, what's happening? Is oftentimes the view that many Christians convey about our relationship with God as if it's a common thing. But Paul's not saying that. What Paul is saying is that no, God has taken down that curtain through his son in Jesus Christ to allow us as his people to come in and experience the of glory of who God is. And so he has allowed us to come into his presence with reverence and with a sense of humility. So we must approach him in that way. And Paul even says in verse 14, I bow my knees. There's sort of that that posture of humility. Now, in, in most examples of biblical prayer, people stood. Now, it wasn't that that was the only way they prayed, but oftentimes they would stand and they would even many times have their arms lifted upward. And so, but at times when there was someone under great stress and need, they often are conveyed in the Bible as people who are kneeling. There's sort of that sense of of, of expectancy of, Lord, I need you to work. I'm coming to you with great earnestness to pray to you. You see that in Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, he prayed that prayer. Daniel prayed that prayer uh, as uh, Nebuchadnezzar had made it illegal for prayer to, to take place. Uh, You even see Solomon as he knelt at the dedication of the temple. He built a platform and as the king of Israel, he got down on his knees before his people and he prayed to his God. And Paul approaches God with a sense of reverence and humility and yet confidence and boldness with that sense of of earnestness. Now, brothers and sisters, I, I think that oftentimes when we come to God to pray we feel trapped. You know, there's a sense in which we know we need to be reverent before God but then we also feel that tension that we need to be bold in our prayers. But reverence doesn't demand a lack of boldness in prayer. Humility and boldness go together especially when asking for things that God has already promised in the Word of God, in the Bible or that we know is God's desire. You know, we don't always know that the things that we're praying for are things that, that is according to God's will. You know, I know that when people are sick or dying, that God wants me to pray for them, but I don't know if He's going to heal them or not. You know, I know that I'm pr- to pray for people who are out of work, but I don't know if God's going to give them a particular job or not. So I pray sort of with the attitude of, if it's your will, Lord. But we have a right, and I would suggest even a duty, To be bolder when it comes to things that God has promised or that he has told us that he desires in his word. There are certain promises of God that he has given to us. Things like faith and holiness and the fruit of the spirit in our lives that God wants in our lives. And he has told us that. And so we shouldn't pray for those things as if it's, you know, if it's your will, Lord. But God has told us it's his will. And we should pray boldly and pray for grace to repent of specific sins and to develop biblical character for love and mercy and humility to be characteristics in our life, for courage to witness and for a desire to study God's word and pray. There are the kinds of things that Paul wants for the Ephesians. He wants them to be strengthened inwardly for Christ to dwell in their hearts for them to comprehend the love of God in Christ. And he doesn't beat around the bush with God, but he prays for those things boldly. And Paul prays with a confidence that believes that God is willing and able to answer his prayers. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 16, it says that he prays according to the riches of his glory. Now, Chris is talking about the characteristics of God in Sunday school, but God's glory is all that he is. So we're praying according to all that God is. Now, you may know someone who is very well off, somebody who's wealthy even. And maybe they're very generous and they give large gifts. And you may think, wow, look at all that that they gave. But the reality is they only gave a portion of what they had. But with God, God gives us according to his riches. God doesn't give miserly or reluctantly in answering our prayers. And we, listen to this brothers and sisters, hear this. We dishonor him by praying with such low expectations and dim hopes. We are communicating that our God is something other than who he truly is. And oftentimes we pray for things like, God, just give me strength. Or God, just help me do this. Like I just need a little boost. Almost like your your, your kids, you know. Maybe there's a kid in the bathroom and he can't quite reach the sink to wash his hands. And so we pick him up and we just help him. It's almost like that's how we view God. Rather than praying boldly for, the God, for God to work mightily, Paul, that was not his attitude. In Philippians 4.19, Paul said to the Philippians, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, how greatly we are hindered in our prayers before because we forget the riches of his glory. We don't pray For the salvation of flagrant unbelievers because we think that their conversion is too hard. Or we feebly pray against the sins that we wrestle with, uh, not realizing that God is willing and able to deliver us from evil. You know, we neglect to pray for God to fill us with love because we forget the abundance of His mercy. But John wrote, he says, And this is the confidence that we have towards Him, That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now understand what John is saying there. Some Christians have misunderstood this and said, oh, well, God will give me whatever I want. That's not what this verse says. He says he will give us anything according to his will. So I might pray for those things that I don't know what the Lord's will is for that. But I'll pray for it anyway. Okay, And I will trust him. But I don't know what the Lord's going to do in those situations. That's not what John is talking about. He is talking about those things that God has revealed and God has said, I want you as Christians to love one another. I want you to grow in that love for one another. I want you to share your faith with others. I want you to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, peace, and so on and so forth. I want you to exhibit those things. And as we pray for those things, we see here that John says that God hears us. And he answers those prayers. Now, Martin Luther was an example of boldness in prayer. Um, he once received a letter from a very valued friend and assistant of his, uh, uh, Frederick Meconius. And uh, uh, Frederick was informing Luther that he was ill and that he would soon die. Okay? So Luther sat down and he wrote a letter back to him. Now listen to what he says. Now there's some old English in here because this was written many years ago. But this is what Luther said to his friend. He said, I command thee in the name of God to live because I still have need of thee in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead but will permit thee to live. For this I am praying. This is my will and may my will be done Because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Is that bold or what? Now I don't know about you, but I read that and I think, Wow, that's maybe even a little presumptuous upon the character of God. But then I also wonder if maybe in our age we have become so timid to not ask for. We have we have become so timid not to pray according to God's character that maybe it's not that he's being so presumptuous. Maybe we have just become such weenies. You know, I don't know. But uh, when Luther's letter arrived, Myconius was so near death that, that he couldn't even speak. But he miraculously recovered, and he lived six more years, and he died only shortly after Luther died. So Luther never did see his death. And so that's the attitude by which we are to come to God in a sense of of confidence, and a sense of boldness, but a sense of of reverence. But what are we to pray for? Well, look at verse 16. He says that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Now, power is an important theme that you see over and over and over and over again in the book of Ephesians. And some scholars think that that's true uh, because of, of the... The presence of the occult in Ephesus, there's a lot of witchcraft, a lot of very dark things in that city. And that may be the case, but it also reflects Paul's understanding of the Christian life. And if you look at Ephesians 6 and you see the spiritual warfare that goes on in the Christian life, you see that that kind of power is necessary. And even looking back to Paul's first prayer in chapter 1 and verse 19, he asks that that they may be enlightened to the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us who believe. And then he goes on and he talks about how that power is the same as the resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So through union with Christ, we have resurrection power for godliness. Uh, we even read in Ephesians three seven that we saw last week that even uh, Paul's own ministry came about by the working of God's power. And at the end of this chapter, Paul says that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And the kind of power that Paul has in mind is spiritual power. Yet spiritual concerns oftentimes don't occupy our prayers much. You know, we oftentimes pray for for physical strength, we pray for healthier bodies, we pray for better relationships. And brothers and sisters, we can't be certain that God desires to grant such requests. He might, but we don't know. But we can be certain of God's desire to give us spiritual power for doing his will. I was even convicted this morning as I was sharing with you the needs of our congregation. That all those needs had to do with external things. Rather than uh, the, the things that are spiritual in nature. And as Paul understands that the Christian life is energized spiritually by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to pray that by means of His power that every part of our lives will be transformed. Do you believe God can do that? Do you? Do you believe that God can do that in your son or daughter's life who shows no spiritual interest whatsoever in the things of God? Do you believe that God can do that in your life as you wrestle with sin and that sin that seeks to ensnare you and it just seems like you can't ever get over? You know, Paul put it best in Philippians. As a matter of fact, turn there to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, 14. You know, Paul's view about the Christian life was very aggressive. And in Philippians 3, 14, Paul says, I press on Toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, he didn't just say, I'm a Christian and I'm going to live my life the way I want. I'll sort of put my Christianity back here on the back burner. I'll go to church on Sunday. Might even read my Bible and pray some during the week. But, you know, Paul, he was like aggressively about growing in Christ and pressing towards that goal. But then look back at Philippians chapter 2, just the chapter before. You know, what confidence did he have that he was going to do to make that? He goes, Philippians 2.12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So there is that sense in which you see even Paul pressing forward towards that goal and telling the the Philippian believers to do the same, to work out your salvation. But then he says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, it is God who changes our hearts, our wills, our desires to want to do those things that we ought to do. And as Christians, we're always pressing on towards the goal in Christ and working out our Christianity, but doing it in his power. Without God's power, we would never be able to stand up to the assaults of the flesh, the world, and the devil. But brothers and sisters, with God's power, we can be spiritually strong so that every area of our lives are characterized by godliness. Now I know the Bible tells us that we won't experience that completely until we get to heaven, But still we will see the work of God. Paul wants us to live out a salvation that is according to the riches of God's glory. So he prays for God's power to energize his lives. And I pray that that's how you will pray for one another as you pray through the prayer sheet each week. That by name you will pray for one another for God's power to be at work. So we've seen the attitude that we approach in prayer. We've seen what to pray for, the content. We're going to see more content as we go through this prayer. Uh, But then finally we see where we are to focus our prayers. Paul concludes verse 16 by telling us where he prays for us to be strengthened with power. He said that he would do so in your inner being, inside of you. You Typically in the West we're impressed with outward displays of power. But Paul was referring to something within us. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for help or outward circumstances. There's nothing wrong with praying for the things we prayed for. To pray that God would provide a house for a family or that God would give uh, uh, several households jobs. You know, there's nothing wrong with praying for those things. But God's primary intention is to do a work within us. And as Christians, we need to change our thinking to be praying mostly for those things. Therefore, we ought to focus our prayers more on inner spiritual matters than on our own outwardly worldly concerns. And and we see this uh, exhibited on 2 Corinthians 12. And you're welcome to turn there, 2 Corinthians 12. You know, this is where Paul suffered uh, from an unspecified thorn in the flesh uh, for which he prayed and he asked God to remove this. And we don't know exactly what that is. We have ideas that it could have been physical ailments. But three times it says in verse 8, three times Paul said, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But it didn't please God to change Paul's circumstances. Instead, God strengthened him with the power in his inner being. And then Paul tells us that God said to him in verse 9, that my grace is sufficient for you, for for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, Paul says, uh, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may what rest on me. You see the power of God that is at work in his inner man? So Paul didn't complain that God only worked within him instead of relieving the difficulty of his trials and his circumstances. Instead, Paul rejoiced at the blessings of God's power Working within him, even to where he says in verse 10, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because I am strong in the power of Christ. This is the kind of people that God wants us to be. Men and women who flourish spiritually, even in barren circumstances. You know, as one person put it, it said that God glorifies himself especially uh, by roses that bloom in the desert. That's us. As we bloom as roses in the desert. When God strengthens us within and works his power through our lives and our service and our testimony, he causes sort of a ripple effect that flows out that affects other people's lives. As God's powers at work in us, then other people see it. And oftentimes they respond by either in amazement, like, whoa, what is going on with you? And they notice that and they want to know more, or they become angry and hostile oftentimes towards you. So, uh, but nonetheless, oftentimes the Lord uses the power that he uses through us to impact even future generations in bearing everlasting fruit let me let me just uh, close if I could by just sharing three things with you real quick that we should um, about prayer that should sort of shape our view of prayer this morning. first of all, just how important prayer is. We need to think less about what we can do and what we can accomplish and more about what God will do by his mighty right hand in answer to our prayers. Uh, we should see prayer. As an investment we make for things of eternal significance and for his glory. Not just to make our life more comfortable here on this earth. It's not that God is there to try to make my life better, but it's there that that he would accomplish things of eternal significance. And so I want to ask us this morning, what place are you willing to give prayer in your life? What place are you willing to give prayer in your daily schedule? Are you willing to bump it up to the top of your list and make that a priority? To seek God's face? Is it something that you're willing to do throughout the day as you encounter things? Prayer is important. Second of all, what to pray for. You know, this teaching ought to influence the content of our prayers It doesn't mean, like I said, that we can't pray for people who are sick or, you know, having surgery or things like that. But we should spend more time blessing the Lord and praising him and asking him to glorify himself through our prayers. I mean, I think about the Lord's prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We are asking God to glorify himself when we pray that prayer. And we should pray, as we pray, pray more for the things of the inner man. Pray for us to grow in character and faith and holiness and zeal and endurance and patience and humility and love and faithfulness. And third and finally, we need to pray more seriously for other people as well. Uh, oftentimes, are we not saddened that we have loved ones who don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? But my question is, Are we praying for them? Not just have we lifted up a prayer once, but are we persevering to pray for them? We are in a nation that is sinking into all kinds of evil and moral decay. But do we pray for revival in our country? Is that part of our prayers to the Lord? We know people who are weak in faith, who are tempted by the world, who are discouraged by hardship, are we praying for them to be strengthened with power in their inner being? You know, we want our church to be a blessing. And we want to bless others through our church. So are we praying for the Holy Spirit to enliven the God's word among us and to melt our hearts in obedience and love and to give us opportunities to reach others for Christ? Brothers and sisters, if we are not praying for these things, then we should not expect these things to happen. God calls us to come and to pray to Him. You want to know an example of how to pray? Write this down. Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 30. Acts four, twenty-four through 30. Go home this afternoon and just read through that. And the early church prayed for boldness and power. And when they got to the end of the prayer, it says in the next verse, in verse 31, And when they had prayed, The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, I'm not saying that our church is going to shake. But I'll tell you what, God will give us the boldness to proclaim the word of God that others may know him. Do you see how great our God is? Do you? One verse we like to quote all the time. God is the same Yesterday, today, and forever, right? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the God who responded to the prayers of His people in Acts 4.31 is the same God in which we serve? Then let us come to Him and let us pray prayers that are appropriate to His character and let's see what He does for His glory. Amen? Let's bow our heads as we meditate upon God's word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that you have given us this morning to consider. And we just pray for your spirit to not let these words quickly depart from our ears. Continue, Lord, to, to teach and instruct us this week. God, we pray that, um, I pray for the Sunday school class that we have as Chris teaches. Uh, God, that you would just open our eyes to, to the greatness of who you are. And I pray that these things would not only uh, inform our worship, but our prayers as well. And God, that we would pray, Lord, forgive us when we pray such puny, tiny prayers. And we pray that you would help us to pray according to the riches of your glory. And God, we know that that's going to be a battle. We know that Satan will not want that to happen. That this week as we go home with the best of intentions, that life will come down upon us and we'll find ourselves struggling. But Lord, help us not to lose heart. We pray for your spirit to encourage us this week and to continue to persevere and to practice and to pray in such a way that would glorify and honor you. Oh Lord, I pray that you would take the blinders off our eyes that keep us from seeing you for who you are. And that, Lord, that in all of our life, uh, that you would help us to pray, that you would do mighty and great work, not only in our lives, our families, our households, but also our church, our community, our nation, our world. We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.